Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Today we're going to look at Numbers chapter six. Um, before we get to number six, uh, and there's a lot to get to, we need to start with just a quick review because we need to understand where we are and why God puts in number six, what He puts there. So Numbers, uh, the beginning of Numbers, God numbers all of Israel. Males 20 and up in Numbers 1, and the purpose for that is is war. In Numbers 2, we talked about how he arranged his people in tribes, and, and he placed them around the tabernacle. The centerpiece of the camp was him and his holiness and where he would dwell. Numbers 3 and 4, we discussed that he gave specific jobs to the Levites and the priests. And then in, in Numbers 5, we, we discussed that if there was anything unclean from the camp, you needed you needed to be removed. If he was going to dwell in the middle of the camp and he was holy, he needed a holy people around him. So we get to number six, and we see that God gives something called a Nazarite vow in number six. Now, in numbers three and four, whenever he gave the Levites and the priests these holy work, understand you had to be from the right family line. If you weren't from the Levitical line, you, you didn't have a role in, in handling his holy objects. And also, if you weren't male, then you did not have an option to be a part of that. So the difference between that and a Nazarite vow is that a Nazarite vow is, is completely voluntary. And it says, I'm going to separate myself and live a life of holiness. It didn't matter what family line you were from. It didn't matter if you were a Levite or a priest. It didn't matter if you were male or female. You could take a Nazarite vow. And it was a commitment that says, I am going to be completely 100% devoted to the Lord. You see, back in Exodus chapter 19, We see in verse 6 that he tells his people that he wants them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was his job description, not for just the Levites, not for just the priestly class. He said, all of Israel, I want you to learn what it means to be a kingdom of priests and to be a holy nation. Well, a Nazarite vow was a way to live out God's instructions and to be separated for his purposes. So let's just start by reading the first couple of verses of Numbers chapter 6. It's, it says like this, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses. Again, a phrase we have repeated over and over in our teachings, way to beer, because that is the essence of the book of Numbers. Learn to hear my voice. I'm going to take you out into the desert, get you away from everyday life so you can hear me and know what my voice sounds like so that you will follow me. Verse two, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or woman takes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to to dedicate himself to the Lord. And we're going to stop there. We'll keep going in just a moment. And he's going to talk about what he wants them to do. 
But he's talking about this Nazarite vow. In about two months, uh, my wife Julie and I will be celebrating our anniversary. About 17 years ago now, we stood in front of friends and family at a church and made some bold declarations as part of our wedding vows. Now, let me tell you what my words were that day. Here's what I told Julie on my wedding day. I said, I, Mark, take you, Julie, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part, that we may become one in spirit, one in mind, one in affection, above all things, one in Christ. So that day, I made a vow, and in that vow, I said, Julie, for better or worse, I'm going to stick with you. And, and this is where I got the good end of the vow, because honestly, Julie makes me so much better. And, and I vowed that she would always be my wife, no matter what came our way, for better, for worse, I'm sticking with her. For richer or poorer, it doesn't matter what happens financially, I said, I am going to stick with you in sickness and in health. My wedding vow said that I would be with her no matter what happens as far as our health goes. And I've watched so many people that have been close to me or that I know diagnosed with illnesses and, and, and um, different things over the years. And, and I know the importance of this vow because you need to have a spouse who will walk alongside those dark days with you as you're facing maybe treatments or, or certain things that have side effects. And, and so I, I vowed that day in that church, it doesn't matter what comes our way as far as sickness goes, I'm going to be with you. And then my vow said to love and to cherish until death do his part. Do his part. And I promise to love and cherish Julie all the days of our lives. I, I promised that I wouldn't take her for granted, um, that she would be the one on this earth that would I would love forever. I love and, and I would cherish her. Then I said that we may become one in spirit, one in mind, one in affection. And, and, and right there, I'm just saying, I, I promise, Julie, I'm going to pursue my relationship with you so much so that we will truly become one. And lastly, and above all things, one in Christ. And that was the end of my vow is, is I'm committing to pursue my relationship with Christ together with her. So that Christ is the head of our, of our family and we are pursuing him together. And that's, that's the vow I made. And I think so often our world doesn't always understand the Nazarite vow because we don't know what our vows truly encapsulate. But in number six, understand this Nazarite vow. By the way, the word Nazarite, the, the Hebrew word Nazir means consecrated one. And so God says, I'm going to put a system in place. If you're willing to voluntarily consecrate yourself or set yourself apart for me, and devote yourself wholly to me, 
I'm going to give you a process and you'll be called a Nazarite for that period of time. Now, understand, people did not have to do this. It's, it's a step above the law. Like it's even a step up from what the priests say they're going to do. So this vow of separation from the world were only for those people who were willing. And just in verses three through eight, let's just kind of think through. There are, there are several major things in a Nazarite vow that we need to understand. First is a Nazarite was to abstain from strong drink or wine. Verse three, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. Um, he shall drink, uh, excuse me, he shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. That's all of verse three. So it says, no strong drink or wine is the first thing. He said, and here's the deal. If you're going to be a Nazarite, you're going to be fully devoted to the Lord for that season that you're a Nazarite. God says, you need to have a clear mind. You need to be able to think about the things I put in your mind. If you're going to follow me, I need you to be fully devoted to me during that season. And not only that, it goes on at the end of verse 3 to talk about you're not supposed to drink vinegar or grape juice or even eat grapes. And it's this idea that, listen, don't come near that line of the strong drink or wine. Like stay as far away from that as you can possibly get. As a matter of fact, you're not even supposed to go in a vineyard. A Nazarite was supposed to stay away from a vineyard. Remember that in just a few moments. But their life and mind was supposed to have a special devotion to the Lord. That's the first thing. So no grapes, no vineyards, no wine, a, a, a mind straight on what God wants it to be on. The second thing about a Nazarite is a Nazarite was not to cut his hair. Verse 5, all the days of this vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. So he says, you are not to have a razor on your head. So honestly, one of the things about that is you're supposed to look different. If you're a Nazarite, someone should be able to look at you and see that you're different. But I said a moment ago, males or females could take this vow. So what if you're a female? You Most females already have long hair. What, what, what would they do? Well, they would keep their hair unkempt. That's what it says in rabbinic literature. Is that If you saw a woman and her hair was not fixed and it was unkempt, you knew that she was a Nazarite. She was wearing her hair like that for a reason. So that's the second thing. First thing, no grapes, no vineyards, stay away. Number two, your hair should, should, you should not cut your hair or leave it unkempt if you're a female. And the third thing about a Nazarite is they were not supposed to go near a dead person. Look at verses six and seven. In all the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead person. He shall make, he shall not make himself unclean for his father or his mother, or his brother, or his sister, when they die because of his separation to God, is on his head. So God says, if you're consecrated to me, you're a Nazarite, I don't want you to become unclean. I don't care, even if it's a sibling or your parents. You have completely devoted yourself to me. You have said you want to completely obey me and follow me. So I don't want you to become unclean for any reason, even if one of your parents dies. 
So listen to Jesus. In Matthew 8, verses 21 and 22, Jesus tells his disciples, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Understand, if you're a Jew and you hear Jesus say that, the first thing you think about is, oh man, he wants me to become like a Nazarite. He wants me to be absolutely, completely devoted to him. No matter what comes our way, I'm devoted. He wants me to be a Nazarite. And the last thing about that Nazarite is they were to be holy to the Lord. That's in verse 8. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. Nazarite did all these things so they could be set aside, set apart. They looked different. They acted differently because they were set apart and holy to the Lord. You know, Pew uh, Research uh, released a report in 2016, and it confirmed that there's this growing problem uh, in America. There is a growing problem uh, among especially millennials where now 25%, it said in that study, will never get married. 25%. And the research, in their research, they can even compare the numbers back to 1960, and they saw just what an amazing gap there was and how things have changed drastically since then. Many people today have no idea what it even means to be committed or make a commitment or make a vow anymore. So we read things like a Nazarite vow, and that's such a foreign concept. Such a foreign concept. At the end of the day, just like I I explained a few minutes ago, my marriage to Julie was a voluntary vow. And many choose not to take part in that. But there's so much joy and fulfillment if you don't learn if you make a vow and you understand what your side of that vow is and you come alongside somebody else there is an amazing amount of joy and fulfillment that you gain but in the people that don't want to make those commitments they're also missing out on the picture that God has given us as the bride of Christ. We see that in Ephesians 5. We see that in Revelation 19. We see that again in Revelation 21, that we are the bride of Christ. And my vow to my wife today prepares me to my vow with Jesus. And it should show a picture to the world of what my relationship with Jesus should look like. And God does call people not to get married. And maybe he has called you, if you're listening to this podcast, not to get married. And there's scripture there where where that is a godly call. Not everyone can do that. It is difficult to, to go through life without a spouse. And so God, I think, has to give special power to those people. But understand, though, I think in our world, many times what I'm seeing is people don't want to get married. And it's not because God's not leading and wanting people to get married. It's because they just want to live together. They want to do their own thing. So understand this Nazarite vow. It may seem extreme, 
the, having people that's not cutting their hair, people staying away from vineyards, people not touching a dead body, which I'm sure that's not something we do a lot on a daily basis anyway. But understand, God is still looking for people who will take the commitment to Him seriously, where we will have lives that are set apart for Him. He wants people who says, I want to be wholly devoted to God and His purposes. So here's my question. Are you willing to be holy? Am I willing to be holy? Am I willing to look different from the world so that others will know Jesus? I'm sure, and I know from experience, sometimes it is hard to look different than the world and not follow the world. Yeah, sometimes you hear people make fun of you or, 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 you know, really give you a hard time about your choices. But listen, God's looking for Nazarites. I'm not telling you not to cut your hair or to leave it unkempt. I'm telling you to live a life holy to the Lord, completely devoted to Him. That's what He's looking for. Now, what happens if a Nazarite accidentally breaks one of these commitments? What happens if somebody's walking down the road and there's somebody laying on the road and, hey, buddy, what's going on? And you accidentally touch him not knowing that he's dead. Well, verses 9 through 12 tell us that a Nazarite could rededicate themselves to their vow. And it says that they would shave their head and they would offer two small birds as offerings. They'd consecrate their head and they'd offer a lamb as a guilt offering. Now, understand There's something that I haven't mentioned that you need to know about this Nazarite vow. A typical Nazarite vow was for 30 days. Almost always, that's what you see, a 30-day vow. Now, there are three people in the Bible that that have a lifelong Nazarite vow. So when I say Nazarite, your mind might go to one of these three people and you think, oh, this is a lifelong devotion, when actuality, most people take a 30-day. The three that do it for lifelong, the lifelong Nazarite vow, Samson in Judges 13, Samuel in 1 Samuel 2, and John the Baptist, Luke 1. Now, these were the exceptions rather than the rule. See, the Mishnah describes the ways someone could take a Nazarite vow. If a person says, I'll be a Nazarite like as the hairs on my head or like as the dust of the earth, or, or like as the sand of the sea. That was a lifelong Nazarite commitment. So if I utter one of those three phrases, when I make a vow to the Lord, that means from this moment on, I'm going to be a Nazarite fully devoted to the Lord. So I'm not going to cut my hair. I'm going to stay away from grapes or anything that contains grapes. And I will not touch a dead body because I don't want to become unclean. I'm going to be holy to the Lord. But if they didn't, the Nazarite vow was for 30 days. So if that, let's say somebody became unclean, they, they, they accidentally did something where they touched a dead body, let's say. Well, the first thing is, there's, there's always, when you become unclean, the scriptures, the Torah teaches you there's a seven-day period before you can become clean again. So the first step is you have to wait seven days, essentially. Then you do those four steps of rededication that we just talked about. And after you do those four steps, you're back at day one. So let's say I was 18 days into my 30-day vow. I start back at day one. 
And I, I go forward 30 more days. And they would come and they would give these series of sacrifices at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And you see all of that, by the way, described in verses 13 through 20. Now, let's, I don't want to get real in depth on some of that. I want to discuss some biblical examples that I think you're going to really be able to pick up on of these Nazarite vows. See, Jews teach the Samson story very differently than Christians. And the reason is they understand the Nazarite vow. They understand what Samson was supposed to be about. And a lot of times we don't. So if you read the Samson story carefully, you find it in Judges 13 through 16. You'll find that he broke every Nazarite vow. Every single one of them. Even the setting can tell you something about the story. It's set in, it says, Sorek Valley. Sorek Valley. That Hebrew word means a choice vine. Samson, a man who couldn't even touch a vineyard, lived in Vine Valley. And we see him compromise his vow over and over and over in the story. And so Jews teach about Samson. They don't immediately go to, oh, he is just the hero of our faith. They look at him and say, look how he had a life that was supposed to be set apart to the Lord. And look how he broke his vow over and over and over and over again. They understand the vow. Another example of the Nazarite vow is actually found in Acts 21, verses 22 to 27. Did you know Paul and four men in Acts took the Nazarite vow? This is after Jesus. This is post-Jesus. They're Christians, and they took a Nazarite vow. Later in in Acts 24, Paul's making his defense before Felix in Caesarea, and you know what he refers to as, as proof that he is walking God's path? He's doing things the right way. He says, I even took the Nazarite vow. Paul wanted to take the gospel to the Jews, and he says, you know what? I'm going to take the Nazarite vow because they understand someone who does that They're demonstrating that they're faithful to God and they're faithful to Torah. They're faithful to God's word. So if if he was going to share Jesus with these Jews, they needed to see that Paul takes the law seriously. He loved God's word and he was so devoted. He was willing to even take the Nazarite vow to say, I'm that devoted to my God. And he took this 30-day Nazarite vow, and he says, yes, I am committed to God. Before people will listen to our message about Jesus, they need to see that we are committed to the Lord. If someone looks at your life, if they listen to your speech and what you talk about, if they see what you put your money, invest your money into, what you spend your time doing, and they look at your life to see what you're about. My question to you is, do they see a man or a woman completely and wholly devoted to the Lord? 
Because if you're ever going to reach them with the gospel, they need to see the gospel lived out in flesh. One of my favorite Hebrew expressions is the expression besora lebesar. And it means word in flesh. The idea that you can look at somebody else and they are so devoted to God's word and they're so living it out, you can look at them to say, now that's what it looks like to follow God. That's what it looks like if you put his word in practice. Are you being the Sora Lebesar? And in the last portion of number six, as we kind of conclude this podcast, it's this priestly blessing. And oh man, this is sweet. Verses 22 to 27 have this blessing. This blessing, by the way, was for the whole community of Israel. It's not just for the Nazarites who've taken a special vow. It's not just for the Levites um, and the priests. But everyone who is a follower of God gets to partake of this vow. Now, I want you to listen to verses 24 to 26. You've probably heard this many times. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So, what is repeated in that priestly blessing? Well, three times you see it all starts with the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. In the Hebrew, there is no reason for this word to be repeated whatsoever. It's just God wanted to emphasize that the Lord is the source. Of these things. Who's the source of all grace? Who's the source of all blessing? Who's the source of all hope? Who's the source of all peace? It is the Lord. It doesn't matter what we're going through. At the time of this recording, we're going through a pandemic that has swept over our world. And God is screaming from the page with emphasis understand where. Blessing comes from. Understand where grace comes from. Understand where peace comes from. Understand where hope comes from. It's from the Lord. It's from the Lord. He is the giver of these things. He's the one who blesses. Now understand, our vision of blessing is often very different than this biblical idea of blessing. See, biblically, blessing is I have a lot of kids, so I have so many descendants, right? Or, or God has given me fruitful land. He's caring for me because of the land. Or he's given me maybe good health or long life. Yeah, those can be blessings. But one of the big ones also is protection. Protection, understand in Israel, they're almost always being attacked by somebody else. And a blessing is I will give you protection. But lastly, and probably the biggest, blessing is God's presence. So as we're going through the book of Numbers, understand it was a blessing that God says, I'm going to pick up camp. I'm going to be in the middle of your camp. I'm going to dwell in the midst of you. And that was considered a blessing that God is among us and he's present. So it has nothing to do with having this large bank account necessarily. Verse 24 says the Lord bless and keep you. See, if if you're under the blessing of God, then he is protecting you because that is the blessing. He's with you and he is the protector. If you understand what's going on at this time, there's a lot of people around Israel that's wanting to kill them. 
They just left Egypt. They're going towards the promised land. They've already been numbered for war because there's all kinds of people who want to do away with them. And the biggest blessing that they could possibly have is God with them and protecting them. So when he does the priestly blessing, understand part of his presence is that when he blesses us, he's going to keep us. Now, the Jews understood that God blessed them for a reason. Now, let me take you to another verse, a couple of verses in Psalms. Because this is such a big thing to understand. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. So that sounds a whole lot like the priestly blessing. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Why did God bless his people? Why did he keep them? Why did he make his face shine upon them? It was so that his people would be an instrument of blessing unto and upon the entire world. You see that in Genesis 12, verse 3. You see that in Genesis 22, verse 18. From the beginning of the book, the beginning of the Bible, God says, I'm going to bless you for a reason. And it's not just for your sake. So he's given us, all of his children, the mission of blessing and the mission of passing on hope to all nations, the entire world. That's our job if we have been blessed, if we have him. And right now, when we go through confusing times and the world doesn't know where to turn, understand we do. And our job is to live in such a way that shows the world what God's salvation looks like. They should see what it looks like to have the God of the universe abiding in us. So let me ask you, are you living a life that shows the world what it looks like to hope in him? And then the priestly blessing talks about the Lord making his face shine upon his people. What do you picture there? See, the Hebrews, the Eastern way of speaking is that they speak in pictures. And can you see God's face? Can you see God abiding with his people? See, I love this because as he's with his people, the verse goes on to say that he gives them grace. He gives them something that they could never earn and that they didn't deserve. Why? Because he loves them. He loves them. They are his. So he's gracious towards them. And then lastly, the priestly blessing says that the Lord lifts up his countenance on his people. And this is the best part of the entire priestly blessing, in my opinion. Essentially, this is where God looks at his people. And not only is he there, but he begins to smile. It's a Hebrew expression for smiling. It's not just that he's there, but oh man, he's pleased by his people. He smiles down on them. The text says that as he does this, he gives them peace. He gives them shalom. It's a wholeness that only comes from him and his presence. And it's the kind of peace we have today when we accept Jesus Christ and he abides in us. 
Listen to God's, listen to what Jesus says in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God gives peace. He gives wholeness. He gives completeness. And it's found nowhere else. Do you know today, if you go to a Jewish service, they typically end with a priest, this priestly blessing. Now, there's only one class of people that can recite it. So you have to have someone from the priestly class, the Kohanim. If you don't have a Kohanim there, then, then no, you, you, you don't do this priestly blessing. So if someone's from the priestly class is there, you get to the end of the service, the, that, that priestly uh, uh, man will cover his head. Why? Part of it, well, well let, me, let me explain the rest of it. Then, as he starts reciting the priestly blessing, all the people look away. Essentially, even maybe turn their back on him. Why? Because they understand this blessing is not from the man saying the blessing. He's just the mouthpiece. God is the one doing this blessing. And we don't want to confuse the two, so we're not even going to look at him. Now, let me just finish this podcast by telling you just a, a brief little story about this priestly blessing. The year was 1979. Um, an Israeli archaeologist named Gabriel Barkay. He was excavating this cave. It was right outside of Jerusalem. And he found this tomb from the 7th century BC. And then he started, he kept on excavating this tomb and he found two small silver scrolls. And they, they were, they measured at, at law, at the, the length of them was about three inches or so. So these two small silver things. So the scrolls, they unwound these scrolls. It took them about three years to unwind them. And they found that both of these scrolls, these two scrolls, contained the priestly blessing of number six, verses 24 to 26. Now, why is that important? We read that, you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool, I guess. What the archaeology? Yeah, cool. First of all, here's why that's important. The earliest known Hebrew scriptures ever found are these. The, the oldest scriptures before then were from the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's over 400 years later. So these are the earliest Hebrew scriptures ever found. Second thing is, there were critics who said that the priestly blessing was added to the text much later. And it proved, no, this was there originally. It wasn't added centuries later. People thought after Babylonian captivity is when it was added. No, it wasn't. They were reciting it before captivity. And thirdly, it showed that the people at that time period clung to this priestly blessing so much, they put these words in uh, amulets and they wore them around their necks. And they clung to those promises so much that when they're buried, they wanted to be buried with those scriptures. 
understand this priestly blessing. There are promises like this priestly blessing and like so much of Scripture that we can cling to with our very lives, with everything we have, just like these people did back in the 7th century B.C. So as we finish our our lesson together, let, let let me ask you about your dedication to the Lord. Can others see your devotion to Him much like the people could see the devotion of a Nazarite? Do you look different? And if you want to point others to Jesus, you have to look different. If you're married, maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're married, does your marriage give an accurate representation to the world of what it means to be the bride of Christ? Because that's what it says it's supposed to do in Ephesians. Finally, let me ask you, there's always things going on in our world. There's always people around us looking for hope. Are you living a life in which you are passing on the message of hope in Jesus Christ to those around you? As we finish, I just want to repeat that blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I really appreciate you listening to this podcast. I look forward to joining you as we discuss Numbers 8 next time. 